0: You're listening to the Voice of Dog. I'm Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. And today's story is Nudging the Sky by Utunu. That's at Wild Dog Utunu. A painted wolf who creates games for a living but enjoys world building and writing in his spare time. His published work has appeared in Heat and soon Fang. Please enjoy Nudging the Sky by Utunu. Ia couldn't focus. She was out in the meadows, near the hut she and her mother called home, busy collecting bundles of the long, soft grass to refresh their bedding. Since her mother was out with the other hunters, the task fell to Ea, but the tingling was strong today, and extremely distracting. By the time she found herself back at the hut, the large mound of grass she'd plucked had diminished to one or two sorry tufts, the rest scattered bit by bit along the path she'd walked she didn't even remember dropping it. Things tingled too much, it made her whiskers twitch and her large ears swivel randomly. It was music she couldn't quite hear, sense she couldn't quite place and she knew it would frustrate her unless she followed it. So she did. She climbed back down the short ladder from the hut to the ground below and followed the sky streams. They weren't always in the same place, but today they'd clearly decided to be near her home. There wasn't much to be done then, but let them lead her. They could be seen, of course, but they were like little rivers in the air that felt different. To Ia, at least, but they made her feel excited and curious, and her fur stand on end, and that was enough reason for any young fennec to go exploring. She let her foot paws take her as her path wound amongst other huts and one or two curious glances to meander further downslope along the sward away from the village, towards the thin, bright ribbon of the nearby river. In her head she hummed along to the music she couldn't quite hear, nudging the sky-streams above her as she went, prompting little whorls of wind to follow in her wake. Near the river now she stopped, and the swirling breezes rippling the ocean of grass stopped too— because there, flitting amongst the wild flowers and alighting on wavering stems, were butterflies, hundreds of them, different colours, different sizes, just gathered about. Laughing, Ea found herself among them, and nudging the sky-streams, oh, they were strong here. She coaxed them to her, feather-like touches as they lit upon her fur. Decorated with butterflies, she beckoned them to follow as she gleefully ran towards the river, and stopped. There was a boy from the village there, crouched at the bank of the river. She had persuaded the remaining butterflies to form multicolored wreaths around her ears, but the sudden appearance of the boy fennec startled her, and the butterflies scattered in all directions. He seemed just as surprised by her as she was of him, but he found his voice first. "'Who are you?' She crossed her arms. Ia, master of butterflies.' Who are you? Just Hemu, he said. Well, you disturbed my butterflies, just Hemu. The boy smiled. Tell them I'm sorry? Ea was mollified at that and grinned. She shifted her weight back and forth, distracted again, the sky streams thick and heavy, and ran off into the grass once more. What else does a young fennec do with freedom to roam? Her mother was frequently out doing things in that strange adult world of hunts and tribal gatherings and important discussions and village doings, and that left Ia with an expanse of grassland to explore and sky streams to follow. She bumped into Hemu so often she started to wonder at it. And it wasn't always because she found his paw prints in the wet mud by the river and followed them. Paws on hips, she demanded, "'Why are you always around?' She liked the way his ears spoke of his emotions, swivelling and perking and flattening in confusion and abashment. She tried not to giggle. Well, there are plants here. Herbs, that's what I'm looking for. And I get to see you, he said that last bit, looking in every not-ear direction. That made her feel odd, but it was a good type of odd, and she nudged some dragonflies with a nearby sky stream so that they'd land on him. His ears stood tall in excitement at that, which made Ea happy. She knelt down at his side. He was busy digging around a seedling in the wet clay of the river bank. his paws and loincloth messy and smeared, and the dragonflies took up an orbit around her. Why? Oh, well, that's what I do. I learn about herbs, and I find them, and take them to grow by my hut where I tend them. Is that what your parents do? Oh, well, I'm by myself in my hut. My parents joined the spirits many seasons ago. There was a disease. Ea couldn't quite grasp how his ears didn't flatten when he said it, but hers flattened for him. All, he shrugged and got to his feet. Hold out your paws, he said with a grin. Ia did, and he placed a wet clay mess in between them, the tiniest sprout of green within it. You carry that. I have another one. We'll take them back and I'll show you my hut. It was a nice hut, far on the outskirts of the village, and much like Ia's own, with its short stilts to keep it raised above the long grasses beneath. She had seen it before, once or twice, but didn't know who had lived there. She plopped her plant in one of the many empty pots outside at Hemu's direction, wiped the clay off on a combination of her fur and loincloth, then climbed up into the hut. It would have made Ia feel small if it weren't stuffed with various pots filled with all the different greens of growing plants. Her muzzle wrinkled at all the smells. There was the earth in the pots, the grass of Hemu's bed, Hemu himself, and all the spicy, different, sharp, and subtle smells of myriad herbs. So many she wondered how Hemu could even sleep at night. The hut was well lit by a large opening in the sloped side wall, at Ea's curious glance, Hemu demonstrated the flap of hide that he could use to cover it. I leave it open during the day so the plants get sunlight. Sometimes I'll leave it open at night, so I can see the stars. Ea thought that sounded nice. Her mother said it wasn't safe to sleep outside, so she didn't often get to see the night sky slowly turn. Why are all your plants inside? Oh, so I can watch them, and so rabbits or other things won't eat them. "'What do you do with them all?' "'I give them to Aniki, the healer. "'In return, he gives me food from the hunts.' "'That made sense. "'Ea's mother always brought food back from the hunts. "'She stood there in the middle of Hemu's hut "'and slowly turned in a circle, "'squinting when the sun faced her through the opening. "'I like your hut, Hemu,' she declared, "'and nudged some birds over to land on the edge of the opening "'so they could sing its praises too.' Hemu smiled, and his ears moved in that way that said he was embarrassed, so she took his paw. Let's go find more herbs. Having a co-conspirator made one braver, so Ia and Hemu ranged further afield. Not so far that it wasn't safe, of course, but from time to time they pushed those boundaries, wriggling with a mixture of excitement and dread. They followed the river as it left the grasslands and approached the desert, but that felt too far. It also didn't look exciting enough. It was just sand and more sand. So, one day, they tried the other direction. Upstream was the village. That was boring. But beyond that, the sward gently sloped uphill until it finally leveled off in a great green field of rustling grasses waving in the breeze. And in the middle of it, huge stones stood, taller than a dozen fennecs. But that wasn't all. The sky-streams had gotten thicker and stronger as they had made their way to this place, and it was now as if they were rivers roaring with energy, all intersecting near the stones like threads in a weave. Eya, come on! I can smell the sea!' cried Hemu. She realised then she had just been standing, knee-deep in the tall grass, mesmerised by the ropes of sky-streams meandering and twisting. She ran to catch up. Hemu hadn't headed toward the stones, not yet. He was lying on his stomach in the grass where the field ended, peering over the edge to where waves crashed far below. She could taste the salt of the sea, and, sky rivers momentarily forgotten, joined Hemu in looking out over the ocean. "'That's a long way down,' she said nervously. "'Don't worry. You can just peek over if you want.' It worried Ia and the pull of the ocean view was insufficient to keep her there. Instead, she headed towards the immense stones, thrust out of the earth like fingers. So many of the streams ran through them. She nudged at the sky streams, and the winds began to swirl, tracing patterns in the grass. It fluttered in her fur, and she reveled in it, pushing them tighter so they raced in circles around the stones. Amongst them now, she could see how truly massive they were. They were not just blank stones, either. Odd glyphs and carvings were scattered over their faces, from where they met the earth to as far up as she could see. "'And what are you doing?' came the voice. A surprised explosion of wind expanded outward from Ea as she let go of the sky-streams, rippling the grasses as it went, and stirring Hemu's fur where he stood uncertainly, ears back, several paces outside the stones. The walls sputtered and died. Leaning against one of the stones was a grown-up. Ea didn't know him, and she didn't like that his ears told her nothing about him. She stared back. "'Nothing?' said Ea. "'Didn't look like nothing.' Ea shrugged. "'Just playing?' The adult glanced over at Hemu, and Hemu's ears somehow got even flatter against his head. "'I don't often see pups up here. And, well, I think I know why you are.' You're Irahas' girl, aren't you? His voice was pleasant enough, but the suddenness of it all still had Ia flustered. She shifted her weight from one paw to the other, then back again. She repeated this a few times, since the new Fennec just stood there and said nothing further. He looked old. Finally, I'm Ia, she said. He grinned at her, and she relaxed. Thought so. Sora so how long have you been able to do your little trick there, with the wind? She shrugged. A while. You can see the threads weaving through the stones here? Sky streams, Ea stated. Sura laughed, and Ea jumped. That's a great word for them. I see them too, so you're not alone. It's very special that you can see them as well. She decided she would have preferred to be alone in that. They were her sky-streams. She glanced back at Hemu, but he still looked like he was trying to be as small as possible. Well, you're a quiet one. I'll leave you two to play. Be careful around the cliff. With that, Sura turned and left, and Ia watched him go. The grass rustled as Hemu moved closer. I found some herbs, he ventured. He couldn't decide whether his ears should still be flat or not, Want to help me carry some? It was just herself and Hemu now, and things felt comfortable again. She nudged the sky streams and giggled at Hemu's expression when the butterfly landed on his nose. He showed her the herbs. There were many. And they collected as much as they could hold before setting out for home. Sura was to be her teacher thereafter, he had discovered. Apparently, the old Fennec had gone to talk to her mother, and after that her mother was adamant that she should learn how to tap the sky streams properly, for they could be dangerous. Ia didn't want a teacher and mentioned as such to everything she could find on the way to meet Hemu. By the third time she finished repeating her complaints to him, Hemu's ears were flattened against his head, and Ea felt bad about that. Her muzzle dipped. I'm sorry, Hemu, I just want to be around you, and we can collect herbs. Well, they are only short lessons, right? You can still come play. I suppose, Ea said. The lessons did prove to be relatively short. Sura was a patient teacher, and even Ea's predisposition to recalcitrance was eventually won over. He told of interesting things after all, it was not just butterflies and birds and bugs and breezes, but other things, too. The other fennec there, though, he irritated her. His name was Kenneman. He was bigger than she was, though still a pup, and she didn't like that he used her sky streams, too. Kenneman has been studying with me for a few seasons now,' Sura said, introducing him. Ia soon found that if she focused on what Sura was teaching— she could almost forget the boy was there. He told of using the sky streams to make rain and storms and deflect blows and push away enemies, but some of that sounded like fighting, and Ia didn't want to learn about that. But the other things she did, and she would gleefully reproduce them later for an awestruck Hemu. Animals, plants, the weather, all listened to her when she called. At her lessons, Sora would push at her, "'asking her to do more and more. "'But it didn't feel right to Ea. "'Sometimes it felt like she was bending the sky streams "'so much that they'd break. "'It was far more comfortable to just nudge them "'and watch the spin of wind and whirl of birds, "'her large ears vibrating with a thrill. He was insistent, though, "'and when he would express his happy surprise "'at how easily she managed something new, Ia would feel all warm. "'Except when Kenneman was there, He would look at her with bitter eyes, even as his ears would tell her nothing. She could feel those eyes on her, and so she would pretend to Sura that speaking to the sky-streams was a struggle, and he would nod his serious muzzle sympathetically. Seasons followed seasons, and Ia and Kenneman learned to take on apprentice duties, helping Sura in his tasks around the village. There were medicines to prepare, wounds to tend, crops to bless— hunter-blades to sharpen, and spears to make fly-true, all of which were difficult work, even with the sky-streams to help. When she was alone with Sura, she felt she could show more of her abilities. Not too much, though. He would wonder otherwise, and ask for more during their lessons, and then Kenneman would look at her with those eyes of his, his ears still as always, so that Ia wished she were home. Home was where Hemu was, more and more, they were inseparable, and each day did not truly start until Ea's lessons were done and she could run off to find him. Fortunately, her mother didn't mind, and even let her stay over in Hemu's hut from time to time. He seemed a sensible boy, her mother said. Ia used the sky-streams to help him bring more bedgrass in, plenty of it, so there was room for them both, and she'd lie there by his side The smell of the wind and grass and spices and Hemu redolent all around her, and watched the stars turn in nights that felt almost endless. When the time came, she and Hemu had their coming of age ceremony. They were hardly ever apart and were about the same age, so it seemed appropriate to have them on the same day. It took place in the village center, and both were nervous when the festivities began, for it was noisy and boisterous, and there were many fennecs Ea only knew by sight from helping Sura. Many Hemu did not know at all, and even grown as he was, he could not help his ears from showing his discomfort. Ea felt sorry for him, and tried to enjoy herself on his behalf. She brought sparks from the bonfire to swirl patterns around him, until he relented and danced with her, while the drums beat heavy into the earth and into their hearts, and the tribe whirled in chaos around them the golden pink of sunset, shone its colors on the cream of Hemu's chest fur. And Ea kissed him just because she could, laughing as his ears flushed in embarrassment. But he kissed her back just the same. Later, when the stars were out and the celebrations had died down, she tugged on his paw and they went up the sward to the huge fingers of stone. The bones of the earth, Sura had called them, and watched the stars not through the opening of Hemu's hut, but in the immense expanse of the sky spread out above them. And soon fireflies, coaxed by Ea, and the warp and weft of the sky rivers, flashed intricate patterns of light in their fur as they lay entwined together in the grass, loincloths discarded and stars forgotten. Ea lived in Hemu's hut from then on. Iraha smiled knowingly and shooed her daughter out with her blessings. So Ea and Hemu shared the hut, and shared the bedgrass, and shared the stars, and Ea knew that things were as they should be. Hemu's herbs were flourishing. They had long ago determined there was a correlation between where they grew and the sky-streams, and there was no shortage of herbs that he could provide to the healer in the village. Ea was able to help coax their growth with the sky-streams, and it was not long until Hemu's hut was a veritable forest of healthy plants. It was a constant panoply of sense, and it was sometimes so distracting that they ended up moving some of the plants outside. Lessons with Sura continued, of course. He would push her more and more to stretch the boundaries of what the sky streams could provide. She was resistant, but there was sense to what he said. The sky streams were not everywhere, he explained. There were many places devoid of them, and an unskilled practitioner would be powerless. Unless, of course— one brought them along. What? He asked. I've tried to show you the importance of bending them to your will, Sura responded, his teacher voice in full force. If you can bend them, force them until they encircle and tie them off a closed thread, then their power will be there for you to tap. It will leak over time, yes, but it will serve you well while traveling, where the streams are scarce. Kahneman spoke then. How long do they last? Depends how thick a stream you can bend. A day, perhaps. Maybe more if you're strong. It also enables you to power an effect for an extended period, even when the sky-streams are sparse or absent.' Sora glanced over at Ia then. "'Your butterflies would follow you across the desert with such a source, sky-streams or not,' he smiled. "'It was what truly enabled him to take care of the village,' he explained he could provide the aid as needed, tie it off, and replenish it after time had passed. It would be otherwise impossible to support all those who needed his help, for without it he would be forced to allow some to suffer while he had rest one at a time. Ia nodded, but Kenneman was still there, and his silence as he watched her was a heavy thing. So she would practice in private, with only Hemu to witness, and the sky streams seemed more than willing to bend to her will but she did that for Hemu, and Hemu alone. That winter, Sura died. He was old, and the sky streams were not something that could prevent it. At the rite to celebrate him, Ia called the birds and butterflies to honour him. Kenneman was there too, standing back amongst the others, his eyes glittering with the bonfire's light, and his ears, as always, indicating nothing. Afterwards, He asked her to meet him the next morning up at the Bones of the Earth. Sura's duties would fall to the two of them, he explained, and it would be best to discuss how to split up the tasks he had left behind. She told Hemu of it, of course. I don't like it, he said, full of nervous energy, his ears going every which way. He worries me, and I know he worries you too. I'll be all right, Ia said. After all, she was stronger than Kahneman she set off upslope toward the megaliths, leaving Hemu a lonely figure with ears flattened, standing aside the ladder at the hut's entrance. Kenneman was there when she arrived, leaning against one of the stones. He gave her a perfunctory nod, ears still. His scent was dark. I would be shaman, he said simply. If you wish, Ea replied. The standing did not bother her, she would help around the village how she had done with Sura. Let Kenneman have his rank. She had her Hemu. There was little reaction in Kenneman, who paused briefly, then continued. There should be only one shaman. You cannot stay. Kenneman, I have no desire to be shaman. That can be yours. People will not see it as that if you are around. You must leave. No, he stated. There was a flash of something Ia hadn't seen before in his expression, and it frightened her. She focused on the streams thick around them, and wove them about her, tying it off, and stood within her barrier. "'I am sorry, then,' he replied, and he deftly twisted the sky stream encircling her. She could not tell what he was doing, but almost immediately it did not matter. Her barrier was a different thing now. The streams warped and knotted in ways she couldn't understand. She opened her mouth to speak, and nothing. She battered at the shield around her, before realising that her body was not moving. She willed her paws to strike, but they lay limply at her sides. She reached for the sky streams, but the barrier kept them out, and her in. Horrified, she tried to turn her head to look at Keniman, but she could not. She just heard his voice, a whisper at her ear, closer now you should have listened. Ah, well. It is sad that you succumbed to madness up here by the bones and leapt to your death. The village will mourn. He grasped her paw and pulled her to her feet. Her body obeyed as if it had no will of its own, and Kenneman led her away from the standing stones towards the cliff. Hemu's voice called out when she was but a few strides from the ledge. What are you doing? Hemu. Ea's heart leapt. Kenneman's paw clenched hers painfully, but she could do nothing about it. Ah, Hemu, I'm glad you're here. Something's gone terribly wrong. It is as if the sky-streams have broken her. She cannot speak or move of her own will. She must have pushed herself too hard. He let a flavor of shock and worry paint his voice, but Ia could tell it for what it was. Hemu was there in an instant, his worried face searching hers, his ears flat against his head. Ia, speak to me, he grasped her paws. She couldn't answer, and it hurt so much. Kenneman had made his own path on the way back, saying he would be by frequently in an attempt to repair whatever had happened, but warned a despairing Hemu that it was unlikely she would recover. Edit, edit, edit. Kenan had made his own path. Okay, I said that right. But even left alone, just her and Hemu, She found herself still locked inside her own mind, no matter how hard she pushed. Hemu led her to the hut and helped her up the ladder to sit on some bedgrass, her foot paws dangling over the opening. He was constantly in and out of her field of vision, his face darkened with tear streaks, talking to her and pleading to her, but she could do nothing. At night he cradled her to him, and she could feel him sobbing against her fur. She couldn't even cry with him. The next day Kenneman came by, as promised. He made a show of examining her, shaking his head, and making tut-tut noises, all while carefully reinforcing the tide stream that locked her away. He would be back the next day. He patted Hemu, and said he would continue to try as long as it would take, and the miserable Hemu nodded his thanks. And the days passed. Kenneman was true to his word, always making the time to come check on her and to make sure she would not escape. Ia did not give up. She poked at the stream that held her, trying to discover what he had done. The knots and twists were slippery and would not yield, and even if she were to grip one and tug it, it would tighten the rest. It was almost like trying to repair a pot by holding all the shards in position at once, while it was full of water. The moon turned and turned once more. Hemu was thinner now, his misery manifest. Ea plucked at the knots surrounding her, and she could work them bit by bit, but it was so complex. Any headway she had made was wiped clean with Kahneman's next visit. But it was progress. A day came where the knots began to make sense. They started to wiggle free, even as Hemu helped her walk to the river to watch the sunrise. He spoke to her, as he always did, a stream of words and pleas to make him feel he was doing something on the off chance she was still there. "'Don't worry, Ia. Kenneman will be here soon, and try and help again.' He patted her paw as he gently started to lead her back to the hut. She untangled some of the knots, just enough that she squeezed his paw slightly his head whipped around and his ears perked. Ea, are you there? She managed the smallest of nods, frantically pulling at the remaining knots. Henneman started to cry and nuzzled her muzzle with his own. Kenneman will be here soon. I cannot wait to show him. No, Ea managed, and it was barely a whisper. His ears dipped and he stepped back. No? Now to what? Kenneman? An almost imperceptible nod. Hemu was silent for a moment, his ears moving as they did when he was deep in thought. He did this, didn't he? There was fury in his eyes, and suddenly his face was calm again as he noticed Kenneman approaching the riverbank. The other fennec gave Hemu a friendly nod as he came closer and turned his attention to Ia. How is she? The same, Hemu responded, as if nothing had happened. But I think she wants to be left alone today. Ia continued to tug at the remaining knots. Well, I'm here now. Let me have a look. Kenneman got closer, and suddenly he was there at the tied sky stream, re-kinking it, beginning to close her off once more. Her eyes flicked, panicked, to Hemu, and Kenneman noticed. He scowled and fended off her weak attempts to untie the knot as he reinforced them. The rock struck him in the side of the muscle. Hemu crouched, picking up another, as Kenneman's murderous gaze focused on him. The sky-streams flexed and Hemu was flung into the shallows, his head forced below the water into the mud beneath. He kicked desperately as Kenneman's power held him there. The knots held still, but Ia could brush the sky-streams outside. It was enough. The banks of the river were home to myriad flying insects, and at her nudging they swiftly coalesced around Keniman's form. He swatted at them, but more and more crowded him, until he started to panic, flailing at them as they bit and swarmed. Hemu struggled to his feet, coughing up water, and Ia summoned all she could through the tiny connection she had, pushing the wind at Kenneman in one sharp burst. He fell, his head hitting rock with a crunch. The river's currents tinged with red. Hemu stood by her side as the elders listened, and when it came his turn he spoke of what he had seen and what he had done. Between them it was enough, and no blame was assigned to them for what had occurred. The decision of the elders was that Keneman's body was to be taken to the desert to let the sand cover his bones, for he did not deserve a pyre. Ia did not go. Hemu did, though, and accompanied the hunters far into the sands. The winds there would eat away at Keneman's remains, and he would be lost. It was late when they returned. Hemu found her at their hut, sitting outside amongst the grass and myriad pots of herbs. He took her paw, and together they walked past the village, up the gentle slope to the stones that stretched to the sky as the stars began to prick the night above. For now... Now it was Ia's and Hemu's time, and they lay there amongst the grass, the bones of the earth towering above. Pressed to her, panting and exhilarated, he swore he'd never be apart from her again. Ia held him close, as her fireflies swooped and swirled. Hemu was all she needed. This was Nudging the Sky by Utunu. Read for you by Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. You can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.